Welcome to Southern New Hampshire University's Social Sciences podcast, Agents of Change. Here we invite students and professionals to chat with us on topics of inclusion and diversity, student success, and their learning experiences. In this podcast, we will hear insights and personal accounts of people who have persisted against the odds and impacted positive social change. Join us as we learn how we can all be positive agents of change. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Hector R. Garcia. During this episode, we will be talking about the impact of social capital on online education. We'd like to extend a welcome to our special guest, Dr. Rick Mass, who is the Senior Associate Dean here at Southern New Hampshire University of our international programs. Dr. Mass recently recorded a TED Talk on social capital, and we are excited to have him on the podcast for this special episode. Dr. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's so glad to be here. Um, I'm really just wanted to say thank you for um, sharing this space with me, sharing this time with me, um, and getting to talk about a topic that, that I care uh, very deeply about. Like I said, really honored to be here, and I uh, really appreciate you, um, you know, reaching out and, and connecting with me on this. Excellent, excellent. We're all very excited about the concept of social capital. And Investopedia in 2023 defined social capital as a set of shared values or resources that allows individuals to work together in a group to effectively achieve a common purpose. Now, they also stated that social capital can also be thought of as the potential ability to obtain resources or information from one's personal connections. And so this allows people to accomplish things more effectively than they would on their own. And we are excited to see how this concept of social capital can be applied to online education and beyond. So with that in mind, let me ask Dr. Max to briefly introduce himself and provide us a little background and his experience with social capital. Dr. Bass. Thank you. Um, yeah, so it's kind of interesting how I actually ran into social capital. Um, I say ran into it because I, you know, by trade, am not a social scientist. I, um, you know, even through my doctorate or even through my degrees, and I have varied degrees. I have two bachelors of fine art. I have a master's in education, and I have a doctorate in global operations management. But none of that was really focused on social capital. But as I was writing my dissertation for my doctorate, um, you know, we were looking for gaps in the research. And one of the gaps that I found in particular was around uh, social capital in the supply chain of retail organizations. So that's kind of what I focused my dissertation on. But through my dissertation, you know, I was examining the seminal works of social capital, any and everything I could look at with social capital. And it just stuck out to me. Uh, you know, it was made clear to me that social capital was in everything. It's in every aspect of our lives. And, you know, having, you know, when I, when I dig into a topic, I like to, to find topics that are expansive so I don't get bored with them. I am actually neurodivergent and I have issues with concentration on any given topic, but social capital is, like I said, in everything. So there's, 
never a corner I can't turn to learn about something new about social capital. So that led me into writing Social Capital 2.0. It led me into being a founding member of the International Social Capital Association, being the founder, uh, founding treasurer for that group. Uh, and it's just been a huge part of my life. You know, um, I've even got to meet, you know, seminal authors in the in the literature like um, Robert Putnam, the author of Bowling Alone. We had a great conversation with him and he presented to us. So it's been it's been fantastic. I've met people all over the world because of social capital. Excellent. How exciting is that to come upon a subject that's so intriguing and has led to so many fruitful endeavors for you? So keeping that in mind, that background, can you tell us why the concept of social capital is so important in higher education today and specifically in online higher education? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and first and foremost, I just want to say that social capital research is a 50 plus year old topic that has been examined. So you're going to find literature on social capital and varying viewpoints anywhere you look. Uh, and and the, the fun thing about social capital for me is, is we're still even this late in the game defining what social capital at the end of the day really is and how it's measured. And I enjoy that about it because it, it leads to some intriguing conversations. There's not a central guiding focus. And um, you know the, the definition that you had provided, I appreciate so much though, because it mentioned potential in the definition, potential. For me in my book, Social Capital 2.0, I, I narrowed down that definition and made it, I made it broad but simple in what I said. So I'd said, the value derived from positive connections between people. That's the way I define social capital, which is kind of all encompassing to that that uh, definition that you had provided. And social capital, you know, it's not a singular action. It is a residual potential product gained from many actions and interactions. So for me, the way when I when I am researching social capital, I use a methodology around three constructs. There's relational capital, which is a measurement of relationships. There is cognitive capital which is a measurement of the knowledge that we share with those around us and their structural capital, which is kind of our brand, how the world sees us in structural capital has gained immense amount of importance through online, through technology, through social media. You are not exposing yourself to your community or your town or your workplace anymore. You're exposing yourself to the world um, through, through, through online channels. So in regards to higher education, Social capital is a key facet of the higher education experience. When we think about that traditional undergraduate experience, this life-changing experience, social capital is baked into that. You're building relationships with peers and potential mentors. It's, it's a cornerstone of your collegiate journey. And I believe this experience is pivotal in the face-to-face -face environment or the online environment. Very intriguing, very intriguing. Those types of thoughts I had never really pondered. And uh, this is something to me that's a hidden gem that is very valuable for our students and something that really we are shining a light on today that I think is very important for them. So speaking of our students and uh, learners in online education and online learning, what are some examples of how social capital can benefit our students 
in their learning journey and beyond? One of the key things that you're going to run into a major benefit is just the relationships that they are developing during the collegiate journey in particular are very valuable because it's providing them with friendships within their chosen field. So yes, it's very important during the collegiate journey to have those friends, those peer groups that you work with together, examine homework together, work collaboratively on projects together. But these are the same people that you're going to be working in the field with. So these relationships you're forming now kind of, you know, in the collaborative journey of work together, schoolwork together, you could literally be working with in your field. Not to mention you run into individuals who are in a higher, you know, a higher level of their journey than you. So if you're just coming in as a new undergraduate student, you might have mentors that are graduate students or students that are about to graduate with their undergraduate degree, meaning they're going to have three years in field before you ever graduate to help you. You could access letters of recommendation. They could tell you what the newest things in the field are. And then your relationships with your advisors and your professors. They, you know, your professors have industry experience a lot of times, years and years and years in industry, and there's no telling who they might connect you with. And these relationships can help to forge a path for our students for their career journey or for grad school or whatever the next step might be past the undergrad. You know, as previously stated, this is just as important for online students as well as face-to-face students. With the rise of remote work practices, it seems like the online students may actually be at a slight advantage. And I just want to delve into that a little bit because one thing that's important, even I myself struggle with this, is replicating the human presence found in face-to-face environments in the online space can be difficult. Um, For me and my generation, being a millennial, I just really believe it speaks to how my generation initially interacted with computers and digital communication. Having grown up before the widespread acceptance of computers and living through the vast changes that we've seen around the acceptance of the personal computer and the cell phone and then the touchscreen phone and the smartphones, um, you know, remote communication may feel like an add-on experience to millennials and generations before mine. But beyond that, when we think about Gen Z, the younger generations, they've never even known a world without touchscreens. My, my son, when he was two, went up to my TV and tried to use it as a touchscreen because the iPad's a touchscreen. Every screen's a touchscreen, you know, in, in his world. So, you know, when we think about that advantage I mentioned earlier for our online students, students are in, who are in online degree programs are not only gaining the mastery of the skills toward their chosen field, just like you would in a face-to-face program, you're also becoming more adept in your skills of synchronous and asynchronous digital modes of communication, which is bringing a whole new skill set to yourself and to the workforce and to your classroom. And what I mean by that, it's it's not just beneficial for Gen Z, it's beneficial for every generation of students that we have in there, no matter how old or young, because we're interacting with Gen Z and younger generations, these digital natives, and we can pick up habits from them that are innate. And we can all find ourselves in a better situation for digital communication and potentially working remotely at a job that we have in the future. You know, that's interesting. You mentioned about the touchscreen. I myself did something similar the other day. I was using another computer and um, I, I was at a conference and I, and I touched the screen and the person, oh, so that's not a touch screen. And so it becomes inbred in one as to the, the digital 
realm and how the social capital is so important, as you say. A question that comes to mind, though, as we, we say that is, how can we make all our learners in online education, because they're not just millennials or Gen Zs, we have a, we have a cross-section of, of learners here uh, at our institution and elsewhere, how can we make them more aware of the positive effects that social capital can have on them, their learning education, and beyond that? You know, there's, there's a lot of recommendations that we as educators can make or people in the field of social capital might bring forward. But at the end of the day, and it's kind of a call to action that I will end on, so I don't want to go too deep into it at this moment. But realistically, it's an individual experience and an individual journey that we all have to commit to. Social capital is a two-way street. Being open to who we are as people and our biases is something that we have to do in our journey. When others do the same, we find ourselves in an environment where two people who've made a commitment to be open, a proactive commitment to engage with themselves and who they are and understand who they are, meeting each other openly and making a commitment there then to, to the other person to be open to who they are and learning from them. You know, so just as, you know, I'd stated earlier, we can pick up skills from Gen Z, who is a digital native. Um, when we want to talk about communication in the digital space, there is a skill set that we can pick up from older generations as well for face to face communication because it all works hand in hand. There's not one or the other. It's an all encompassing thing. What I had a lot of struggles with, with social capital in particular and digital communication is there was a time in my social capital journey that I did not think and per the literature to support me that new relationships could be formed digitally. I was under the impression that there had to be face-to-face -face contact and that humanness, that coming together to initiate a true connection that could then be supported through digital communication. But, you know, I helped form the International Social Capital Association, and I talked to my friend Tristan Claridge, who is a founding member as well. He lived in New Zealand, now he lives in Australia. I've never met him face-to-face. And here we are, and we have a great relationship. We talk about our kids and what's going on in their lives. So needless to say, like I, through my journey, my commitment to being open in my study of social capital, I changed my own mind. But it was through that openness and that understanding that I can be wrong, and my initial assumptions aren't always right. And we have to give that grace to others as well. Through that, we take advantage of the knowledge base of everyone around us. So that's what it boils down to. Like I can give advice on what you can or can't do, but it has to be an individual commitment to, to make it happen. Yes, exactly. Just like it would on a, in a face-to-face, -face, you can go into a, into a room uh, in a meeting, a live meeting, and not meet anyone and not, not say a word to anyone. And you could be online in a, in a large group and, and make meaningful relationships and connections with 10 or 15 different people. So it depends on the person. And as we look at that, we, we want to take a little focus on how social capital can be used to promote diversity and inclusion in online learning, because I think this has a lot to, to do with what we just talked about right now. So how can social capital be used to promote diversity and inclusion in the online educational journey? 
Well, when we consider social capital in general, we can't even have a conversation about social capital, the good or the bad of it, without considering diversity and inclusion. Um, just as social capital is baked into the, you know, the uh, college experience that our students are looking for, diversity and inclusion is baked into social capital. Unfortunately, historically, we can actually see issues that have arisen due to the misuse of social capital. And I would like to touch on that a bit because it's very important to understand because you can inadvertently play a part in that. We hear terms like boys club or the good old boy system, et cetera, and things like that. And ultimately those comments, those, those groupings are meant to describe an archaic system of othering and keeping individuals who fall outside of the norm or outside of the dominant culture of society from achieving their goals around social mobility or their pursuits of higher education. Um, you know, there, there was a time you couldn't even get a job in some parts of the country unless you knew somebody. You had to know somebody and you had to show that you were like them in whatever way. And I'm not I'm not singling out a particular thing. This could have to do with race. This could have to do with religion. This could have to do with your accent, where you come from geographically. It all culminates and it creates this 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 system that we see. My thoughts around how to promote diversity and inclusion in online learning through social capital is really a call to action for all of us. We have to make a commitment to openness and addressing biases that we encounter in our own journey so that we can be more open and objective to the needs of those around us. And this goes both ways, both for the professor and the student. Like I said, individual journey, you know, suggestions are great. Advice is great, but we've got to commit to it on both sides. We have to make sure that we're open to unique experiences because those around us can help feed into our diverse understanding of our world. And our diverse understanding is what helps to drive our, our behaviors around inclusion. Um, and, the, you know, the diverse populations that we're going to interact with in our world. When we approach these interactions with preconceived notions and biases toward those around us, we actually are adding to the issues we see. And when I when I say the word biases, I've had people, uh, you know, in, in lectures I've given and everything else kind of cringe up a little bit. And they think it's a bad word. Biases is not a bad word. It's something that forms within us. Heuristics is around protection of ourselves. My, my call for you, for everyone is just to say, you know, question your behaviors, question how objective you're really being or subjective. What is leading you to form judgments around about the world around you? people and situations. You know, you, you have to be proactive in understanding yourself before you can really understand others. And when we, when we take no action and we remain with our default responses to the world that honestly are probably continued behaviors from past generations, because your, your formidable years, what you start out with is what your parents teach you. And what your parents teach you may, may or may not be relevant to the time we're in, the ge geography we're in, the whatever we're in. And I'm just encouraging a promotion of your own beliefs, your own unique journey, your own understanding to kind of break down some of these archaic systems that are based on default beliefs that may or may not be relevant anymore in our society. We have grown so much as a society. We don't have generation gaps anymore. We have intergenerational generation gaps. My oldest son can't even help my youngest son with math because they're learning it completely different. They're in the same generation. They're not even that far apart. Um, we have to understand our world is adapting that rapidly and, and, and being committed to the journey 
of being adaptable, of growing, of questioning who we are and why we, why we interact the way we do, why we respond the way we do. It's actually a lot of fun and it helps you as a person. You can actually know what your wants and needs are through that journey. And when you understand yourself, it, it gives, it leaves you open to understanding those around you even that much more. Wow. You know, those, those points, those are some observations and thoughts that uh, I had never really pondered as much, but they're right on point. Uh, it's like the obvious right in front of you that you don't see. So this is wonderful. So Dr. Mask, if you had the opportunity, which you do right now, to provide our students, our learners and others listening to the podcast with a bit of advice, very applicable to any age group, any stage of their journey in education and beyond about social capital, what, what would that, those pieces of advice be for them? I guess, first off, an acknowledgement of social capital's existence and how it impacts our journey. Um, it is an actual thing. You know, you, you, you may have considered throughout your life, why am I friends with who I'm friends with? How can I connect with other people? And, and all these questions are really based around social capital. It's something you can look at and examine and measure. And it's not this abstract thing. Relationships don't have to be abstract. The human experience doesn't have to be abstract. You can make intentional efforts to communicate with others around you um, that you probably normally wouldn't. You know, my, my main encouragement, if you go to a networking event, if you find yourself in any social setting, Go talk to the person, look around the room and go talk to the person that you think you'd be least likely to talk to. And, you know, you look around a room, your you, most natural inclination is to go to see people that you might know. So, Hector, if I ran into you somewhere, I might go talk to you first because I know you if I didn't know anybody else in the room. Well, I encourage you to go up to the person you don't know and talk to them and be open. Ask them questions. People like to talk about themselves. Let them, let them, let let them tell you about their journey. Um, you know, and that's a great first step because you might break down some things that you know preconceived notions that you had, and you didn't even know you had them. So you know, you, biases are, are, are subconscious. You have things, and you may be interacting with people in a certain way and not even know why. Just you know, like I said, be open, approach conversations that you maybe normally wouldn't. Um, and take advantage of those around you, the relationships you can form. Have an additional conversation with your professor. Have an additional conversation with the students around you. These are people that have an impact on your life. And also be willing to share your journey and your story um, and be open with them too. Um, just, you know, openness to the world around you and all the, the diversity that's there. You know, and, and Dr. Matt, that is a very uh, enlightening suggestion and recommendation for the students because I, I encourage my students to reach out, talk to me, make an appointment. I give them my calendar. It's pop it in, make an appointment. And I'm going to sadly tell you that very few do. And the ones that actually make those appointments and we sit down and talk, I'm able to provide them with many insights, help them understand their assignments, how to apply it to the future world. And that reluctance to, to take that first step and talk to people is something that is detrimental, I think, to a lot of learning and potential that we have out there. So 
a very interesting, interesting topic. And that the reluctance and the unconscious bias, I guess those are topics for another day um, and, and then perhaps a future podcast on that. So with that in mind, I want to thank you very much for coming here today to the podcast and telling us about social capital and how it is in everything that we touch, uh, its expansive nature, um, that is still being defined as we speak. Um, these are values derived from human interactions. And of course, you talked about relational, cognitive, and structural. And the main emphasis here today obviously was on structural, which is how we deal with the online. It's the key facet of relationships in the online field. And so a lot of the work that you do in social capital is work that we also do with as professors and, and deans to help our students uh, get adept at that digital modality and to be inclusive, which is very important because um, cap social capital can be misused as we thought of. But the call to action is the commitment to be open to the unique experiences. And I think that is the spice of life. That is what really our education is about because in the real world, you're going to meet a variety of people and it's always best to engage with as many of them as we can. So thank you very much, Dr. Mass, for your time and all the insights that you shared with us. Um, key concepts from your book, Social Capital 2.0. And we're looking forward to uh, the 3.0 version as we continue to expand our digital modality and whatnot. So um, hopefully that will be coming soon. We can enjoy more insights there. Thank you for everything that you've done. It's been very valuable to our learners and their community, and we appreciate you coming here today. Thank you so much. And once again, just thank you for sharing this space with me. I really enjoyed it. Um, look forward to hopefully connecting again in the future. Sounds great. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Hector R. Garcia, and I have been your host for this special episode of Agents of Change. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Southern New Hampshire University's Agents of Change, a social sciences podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and be on the lookout for more exciting episodes. Goodbye for now.